0: Welcome to the first regular season edition of the Bloop Single Podcast. I'm Ryan Watlet, and as always, I've got my host, co-host, Rob Gifford with me. How you doing, Rob?
1: I'm doing all right, man. We uh, had a little pre-show meeting. I got a little uh, hot under the collar thinking about the D-back so far, but we're calmed down. I think it's going to be a good podcast full of information and very little to no vitriol. We'll see.
0: So I've got one really important question for you, Rob, to get us kicked off. How do you prefer your milk?
1: I don't drink milk.
0: Well, when you did drink milk, how would you prefer it?
1: I don't know, cold.
0: Are you a whole milk? You're really two percent
1: instant tangent. Uh, God, I don't know, man. I haven't had real milk in a long time. It's been almond, and then I guess before that was skim, like <laughs> basically water. Why?
0: <laughs> so, so you prefer your milk almond? Would, it's just, you know, some of our listeners were asking. No So I didn't. wanted to... Well, Rob, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Dimebacks have played four, four, five games. That was an opening four-game uh, four series in San Diego. We played one in Colorado. Four plus one equals five. So five games into the season, Dimebacks are two and three, about to be expected by most prognosticators. So, uh, Rob, what are your thoughts from the opening day series against the Padres? Uh,
1: So, specifically on the Padres, man, it's—I think we gifted them one. We could have easily split that series. And and where to point it out is uh, in game one. When you have—and we're going to hear this word a lot, much to my chagrin— a historic inning or a historic XYZ, you got to find a way to pull out those games. And so, opening day— When you are gifted things like errors from Fernando Tatis Jr. on the Padres, when you're gifted um, subpar pitching performances from the the runner-up of a Cy Young Award winner uh, from last year and you, Darvish, and you get four home runs in one inning, you've got to win that game. and totally biffed it. There's so many things immediately wrong with this team, and and I'm sure we'll get into it piece by piece, but i got to tell you, man, not a good showing, even though we're not supposed to beat the Padres. Um, I get it, not a good showing overall in that first series,
0: yeah. So, you say, uh, really, that's some really tough language. Um, I agree with you that the that I thought that there was another game or even two that the Dimex could have won. Um, I think I may have saw some more good in the series than you did, Rob, in particularly with some of the way. Uh, some individual performances from our Diamondback players, uh, particularly highlighting uh, the performances of Kettle Marte, um, Steven Vogt carrying over to that first game of the Rocky series, and a couple others that um, players that really shined. But I do want to get onto your uh, your hate-everything-going-on tangent uh, role there. Not
1: a tangent, and, it's the facts.
0: And just uh, the big issue that stood out to me that led to a lot of the losses and really kind of changes how, the perception of this team maybe is the uh, hitting with runners in scoring position. Um, at one point, I'm not sure uh, during if it was during the Padres series or during the Rockies game, there was a statistic that they were four for 40, a 100 batting average. I mean, to have 40 at-bats with runners at second base or third base, I mean, that's impressive for the season. So we're getting guys on, we're just not getting them in. Uh, there's a lot that can be drawn, a lot of conclusions that can be drawn from that uh, statistic alone.
1: Sure. If you want to look at positives, man, like Kettle Marte is returning to all star form. That is awesome. Uh, we said this was going to be a make-or-break year for Carson Kelly. I don't know if we did it on the air, which would have been super smarter in pre-pre show meetings, you know, which is not so great. But at least we're talking about it. And this is a make-or-break year for some players, and we got some people showing up, almost a 500 batting average from Carson Kelly. The issue, and really what brings up your point, is we are not stringing enough, stringing up enough of these players altogether. You know, if Kettle Marte is leading off or hitting second that next person which is you know right now due to injury is dribble cabrera is probably hitting six in the lineup that means in between those players there's there's three outs minimum you know and Mm -hmm. so you're not going to score somebody in and then you know kelly largely hits seventh or eighth um between being the catcher which prototypically you're going to hit eighth or you know for him being kind of a young guy's back in that lineup um they're just spread out and you can't predict like you can't just have them hit one, two, three, cause then you've got too many outs on the back end of a lineup. So you've just, the reason you are what one for 40, like you said, um, is because these players are too spread out. And, and if I can go on one little extra part is this is why there are proponents of a launch angle. You know, we have so many players on, on base, 40. If you just, you know, Would you sacrifice 40 players on base just to have eight of those, six of those be home runs? At least that point, they're coming in because they're going to circle the bases. It's the small ball, the singles, the doubles, the hit by pitch, that all of a sudden you got to get three hits in an inning to score one run rather than have one big bopper hit a homer.
0: Right. And you brought up a good point um, too. This series was built, you know, there were a lot of opportunities in this series to take advantage of some suboptimal play by the Padres. You Darvish didn't have a great game. Uh, the Musgrove and Blake Snell games were much better. But, you know, there were opportunities to get to the uh, Padres. Uh, Tatis, with his errors, he had five errors in the series, I think it was. You know, just gifting the Diamondbacks base runners and never took advantage of that. Um, but also... We couldn't take advantage of an offense. Our defense and pitching also wasn't there. Was there anything that you really want to hit on, Rob, when it came to those aspects of the series?
1: Yeah, I feel like before this segment's done, we're going to hit on all the things. Uh, honestly, show up. If you if you have the MLB TV app or, fo- or what is it, Valley Sports now, you better show up early because a lot of these games are done by the third inning. That's an indictment on the starting pitching. Uh, how many times have we seen it? Third inning... Three to zero, you know, and and there, some of these games are on pace to have a run, a, like the, the the pitchers let up a run every inning. You're not going to win a game if you're going to allow five, six, seven runs in a game, and then hitting back on the first game, your your offense claws their way back to a lead, only to have the bullpen blow it. Like you, it, and it happened to, and it's not a one-time thing. Just in game one, we're talking about an extra innings game with the Rockies. The only reason we've lost that was because of two blown saves, uh, Davinsky and Yohan Lopez right after him. And so, you know, whether you want to say it's the uh, fallacy of bullpen by committee and that's not working, or subpar starting pitchers right now and that's not working, it is it is tough to win ballgames if you don't have everything clicking. And we just rattled off all but one thing that has been a miss already. And, and luckily we've got some hitters, but... Even you brought up a a stat, one for forty and runners in scoring position. It how do you get it done with that many holes in in every game?
0: Yeah, and uh, you know there's more than just those couple hitters that are some bright spots. Uh, You know we're kind of just jumping around all over this Padres series right now. Let's jump to Game Four. Taylor Wiener with a great start. Uh, Looked really good for uh, his first uh, major league start. I think he went six innings. Couple of strikeouts, couple of walks, but kept the Padres from scoring and just had his slider, had a fastball working. If he can go out there and pitch like that, you know, most games this season, he won't be giving up his rotation spot when Zach Gallon gets back.
1: No, and I, I think you can update us here in a second with what starting pitchers probably uh, will move out of the starting rotation when when uh, Zach Gallon comes back. But
0: well, we do know that. According to the manager, Caleb Smith is no longer in the rotation. Uh, don't know what that means for Zach Gallen. Don't know if that means he's going to be activated off the uh, injured list here soon, or if that's going to provide an opportunity to either Alex Young or Taylor Clark, both pitchers who have looked pretty good so far at the bullpen and were in competition for that spot that went to Taylor Widener. But yeah, uh, just to get it out of the way, Caleb Smith no longer part of the Diamondbacks rotation.
1: I appreciate that. And, and going to our last podcast, we talked about Caleb Smith being in the rotation was going to come out of left field for me. He made it and and clearly didn't hold on to it long. Um, but Taylor Whitner, that was that was actually who I wanted to see in the rotation. He got his opportunity. We had seen enough of Taylor Clark, and this added velocity was exciting to see. You know, and that's something I don't think. Especially when you have Madison Bumgarner, and we'll we'll probably talk all year long about diminished velocity, um, and then Merrill Kelly, which velocity is just not really a part of his game. Uh, we saw, you know, good hitters will take advantage of that, and it's it was tough to see early on. Widner was a complete 180 on that, and he brought um, his fastball. He was able to put together a few innings, and and that's what you can see with it's tough to say cause you don't want to just have a fireballer and that's your whole makeup. You, I love a crafty player. Um, but at the same time, if you miss on a 91 mile an hour fastball, it's going to get hit a lot easier than missing on a, you know, missing your spot on a 96 mile an hour fastball. Right. I mean, I, I know breaking analytics from Rob here, but like, <laughs> you know, if you're going to be on the center of a plate, they still may not catch up to it if it's that fast, but if it's 91, man, that's, that's almost batting practice. And not to say that you can't survive in this league, but you have to hit your spots if you're going to throw low 90s.
0: Yeah, and another big shift to the Steinbeck's roster already, besides Caleb Smith moving out of the rotation, is the call-up of Geraldo Perdomo. You know, coming into the opening day, we were told Nick Ahmed is going to be fine. Opening day comes, and Josh Rojas is starting at shortstop. And we're thinking, okay, it'll be a couple more days. And then at... at some point in San Diego he's getting the call to come join the major league roster and you know the big part of that is due to Josh Rojas's uh, subpar play to start the season and it's not just his offense his offense has not looked good, but his defense has been absolutely atrocious mm-hmm. at shortstop.
1: Yeah, and let's save Perdomo because we're going to talk about him a little later in the podcast and focus on why he got promoted in the first place. Way before, <laughs> way before we thought anyone would be called up for our, for something other than an injury. If you, we talked about one for forty men and runners in scoring position, and we talked about how does that happen when Kettle Marte is batting so well and. and Carson Kelly, the same thing. Like oh, both of them are over 400. Marte's over 500 right now as a batting average. It's because it's been juxtaposed with um Eduardo Escobar having an abysmal start. Who I know you were really high on entering this year, like thought he would do really well. And my pick for who would do really well, which is Josh Rojas. And you combine just a complete lack of hitting. I think entering this game, he was one for 16. And same with Eduardo Escobar, just tough behind at the plate. And, and with Rojas, I guess this is the difference. And you tell me what, what you see. But I saw with Josh Rojas as a player who's just a little bit out of his element uh, at the Major League stage with shortstop, playing shortstop, making the throws, um, covering that kind of ground and versus Tatis, who made five errors. But it almost seemed like... Because he is so athletic, he believes he can make every play. And there's a different mindset. And there's a different way that that looked comparing those two shortstops. Well,
0: I think with Rojas, what I see really was just a player that might have been, um, had a couple of mistakes at the, uh, shortstop. You know, he's not a, that's not his first position. When you think of Josh Rojas, he maybe profiles more of a second baseman or a corner outfielder. He's a backup. Sh- Right. He's more of a backup shortstop. And, you know, he's at a, playing out of position, not a position he's comfortable with. Maybe hasn't played shortstop since Little League, honestly. And made a couple errors. And that he's a young player at the Major League level. Just probably took that over to the plate. And he's still probably trying to recover from making some errors. I mean, you know, he's got pretty good range at shortstop. At least he's getting to the ball and being able to knock the ball down somebody like Nick Ahmed might be feeling it cleanly and th- making an easy throw whereas Rojas is you know diving all over the dirt but I think back to that error I think it was in the second game of the season where he dove and just went to go make a little bit of flip to Eduardo Escobar like a just a little 10 10 foot flip but through the ball like 10 yards 10 feet wide of him and that not even close to
1: yep I think that matches exactly what you're saying. It was a dive up the middle and he could you could either turn a double player. He at least could get it to second and he tried to flip with his glove. You see that on a highlight Oh road. no, it was, his, play, it was his it was his hand. He
0: did get the ball transferred.
1: Oh, we must be thinking of different. Okay, yeah, he, he didn't it. make the you're transfer, right. but but uh, that's the thing. He can get to that ball. It's just that next level and that's the difference between an Ahmed makes that dive, probably makes that right.
0: Play. And that's you know, or even if he he maybe doesn't even have to dive to get the ball. You know, it was a hard true. hit ball
1: up the middle. But, I mean, yeah, it's Fitton yeah. Harris at that point. It's like that's the difference between what is a scary thought. He might be a 4A player, Josh Rojas. Going to crush it yeah. every time in AAA. I don't know. Is he ready for Major League? It, one for 16 doesn't say yes.
0: Yeah, even so, I think that that's a play that he's probably made before or could make but just in that moment he got sped up and threw the ball to the pitcher's mound instead of shorts instead of the second base back and then probably just I can see how that would have stuck with him the uh, the entire the entire game uh,
1: what do you think it puts on a young player to have a rough start like that especially with a hot spring do you feel like he's you know trying to get three hits at once and get that batting average up. It just, it seems like that it's crumbling and it's tough. I don't, you know, local kid, local prospect, but.
0: Yeah, I don't want to know. I don't want to get too much into his mindset. Not him.
1: I'm just talking about a young player. generalizing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's just, well, there's a lot of pressure. You know, Josh Rojas was a lot of, uh, other play, other, um, reporters and baseball analysts pick for the Diamondbacks breakout player of the year because of the spring he had because of how many at bats he had because he was playing in spring training games against good competition and hitting the ball really hard and we just haven't seen that there's nothing that from Josh Rojas this spring that has carried over to the major league level and I'm not concerned yet there's a so many games of baseball to be played but I am concerned and of in games where he is playing shortstop. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Nick Ahmed back on the roster and you know, glad to see Perdomo out there at shortstop, but he doesn't have a major league ready bat. And that's just a, that's just the long and short of it. He's a 21 year old kid, uh, first time playing above A ball. He's up here because we need a true shortstop on the roster, and he's on the forty-man roster.
1: You're talking about Perdomo specifically. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um. And and that's something that it's tough because it was an extra inning game. He got into the ball game already, has a hit, you know, and so he went one for five last night. And, and, and at you're a... talking
0: about the first game of the Colorado series.
1: Exactly. I think we should move on, get off of the the Padres because we went one and three. But a two and three record means we, we eked out a win against the Rockies who are really just as far as national uh, reporters, we're on par with them skill level. Like both, you know, they had a, a series with the Dodgers where they pretty much got smoked. You know, we had the Padres where we got smoked. And now we're, this is a very even matchup. and I think you saw it last night, a, a 10 to eight game, which may as well be a, a, a four to three game in normal ballparks, but in the thin Air of Coors field. Um, high scoring always in Perdomo, he got a hit, you know? And so I know he's, he's barely batting over a hundred, but compared to, to Rojas and what we've seen that plus defense, I think he's here to stay up until, until Ahmed is ready.
0: Well, when you say he got a hit, he found the own, the exact spot on the field in between the left fielder, shortstop and center fielder where none of the three could get to it.
1: That, yeah. And that goes to, uh, <laughs> I felt so bad for Josh Rojas to, um, one of his in, when he was hitting the teens, you know, and only had one hit, and they got the shift. I'm like, come on, guys! Like, play him straight and see if he can hit his way out of this. And you know, I guess you're just never given any mercy in the majors,
0: right? Um, yeah, you know, that game against the uh, the Colorado Rockies was one of the more fun games to watch. And I've actually said that about a couple of games this season for the Diamondbacks, despite the flaws of this team I find him to be a really fun and exciting team to watch there's a lot of fan favorites on this team uh, David Peralta still a fan favorite Kettle Marte still a fan favorite really fun and exciting players Christian Walker Carson Kelly uh, you know who could not be excited about that Christian Walker home run uh, into like the upper deck at Coors Field. When he gets into one, he can really drive the ball a long way, and you like to see that. So this is still a team. Last so it looked cool. <laughs> this is still a team that, despite their flaws and deficiencies, is an exciting team to watch.
1: But not in the winning sense. Are you talk? Are you going back to like the two thousand and four baby backs? Where you know I think there's a potential that we could lose a hundred games this year or ninety since we're going to play less games overall, but you can't say we're exciting cause we're like fighting for a playoff spot or anything. Are you?
0: No, no, they're just, I think we're going to be in competitive. And as the season goes on, I do think we'll be competitive in more games than we will not be competitive. Do I think we're going to pull those games out and win them? Not particularly, but I think that we've got some players who have some pop and that means that they, there's always a chance for them to score runs. Um, I, you know i do think that for us to win we have to play a little bit of small ball and i don't think we can do that but i think that there's some exciting players to watch and i think we, we will end up being more competitive than not in games
1: man are we watching the same game because literally like i feel like we've been out at the third inning multiple games we've only played five
0: right it might feel that way but in a lot of those other games you know they came back there's yeah. you could say you've been out after three innings but we made it a game and got competitive and like in that Padres series you could say it was uh, the historic inning the first game of the first I mean it's not it's historic because it's technically historic the first team to score four home runs in one inning on opening day that's a pretty specifically
1: uh, on opening day I was wondering about that because the Dodgers hit four consecutive home runs to win a game back in when and Garcia Paro was playing so I didn't understand that stat
0: yeah no that's just a you know, a made for ESPN type of stat.
1: Can I just say, but, for one thing, like if we're gonna have every, like literally, isn't the old adage like you see something new in like every week in baseball? Like, there's always some weird play that that's never happened. You know, it's like oh, I've never seen that at inside the park grand slam. You know, or with whatever. Like we we hear that a lot. Are we just gonna hear it's a historic? This is the first time a rookie person has hit a, a rookie player has hit a double. While kind of squinting on a Tuesday with a full moon, oh my goodness, aren't these Diamondbacks crazy? Like, don't get me a whole year of that stuff. Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, I'm with you. Those those type of, like I said, made for ESPN type of statistics are. I, I think they're just a part of our the culture we live in right now. But that being said, that inning brought us back into the game. We had a chance. They were competitive at that point. Um, and that's in the opening day of the game of the season. Uh, you talk about that. you, uh, or I guess that was the Udarvis game. But, you know, even in the Blake Snell game, we had an opportunity to, you know, keep the game close, score some runs, and then before letting it get away from us. So I think the team, when it's all said and done, you're going to look at our – I think we're going to underperform our Pythagor- Pythagorean theorem win-loss record.
1: Underperform.
0: Yes. Okay. You know, I think we're going to score more runs than our record suggests. We're going to have a lower run differential than our, than our than our record suggests. I still think we're going to lose a good number of games. I don't think that we have the players to get us over the hump, particularly if we have many injuries throughout the year, such as as watching uh the second game of the Colorado series, Ken Marte going down with some sort of lower uh leg injury don't know what it is yet but being replaced in the game by uh or in center field by timo castro uh doesn't look good uh you know probably have to do something i imagine he'll be put on the injured list but without speculating any further than that
1: I are gonna say yeah but it, it's tough to look at like that was one of our few bright spots we talked about it 20 right. minutes ago and we may as well have been mid-sentence when that happened
0: right and but to that point if kettle Marte goes down well everything i just said goes out the window because you're going to need players like kettle marte to stay healthy and christian walker and carson kelly and some of these players who are uh have the potential to carry the offense on days and drive the ball uh you know we we can't just be a team that's built around asriel cabrera as our lone as our main offensive bright spot
1: yeah
0: that's not a recipe to win
1: okay yeah you're right in and in- What's tough is what is thirty five years old now. He actually is a bright spot so far this year. He's filled in admirably. Um, I think what's scary is is this is now a second core player with Nick Ahmed being the other one having a knee issue. We haven't been able to to be healthy, unfortunately. And Cole Calhoun's another one. Um, maybe not considered core if you look over the next four years, but certainly a huge part of this current installment of the Diamondbacks. Um, I think we should just get into it, man. There's a reason like Perdomo is, as a shortstop is is on this team right now. It, sure, Josh Rojas is, is had his struggles, but I don't know where Nick Ahmed is. I I, I know functionally injury wise he had a shot in his knee, didn't react well. There's more swelling. He's got more time, but um, this I don't know if they're just more secretive about injuries or what. But we have not gotten any word on any sort of timetable with with him at all. You know, it feels like he's going to be back tomorrow and also not here the whole year.
0: Yeah, I do think that he was, um, didn't I see something today about him being a, uh, playing some games on the backfield back in Arizona?
1: That's the thing. He's that close the whole time. Um, And that shot was like, I think a final quarter zone shot or something. Um, to get him back onto the field and it just reacted poorly. I mean, that's that's tough luck, man. That's medicine at that point. It has nothing to do with, you know, yeah. what is it? Right. Pain tolerance.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Again, so many games to be played left this season. I, you know, Nick Ahmed has shown to be a pretty uh, dependable player throughout his career. I'm not at a point where I'm worried about Nick Ahmed. I'm not at a point where I'm worried about a Cole Calhoun, although I had kind of forgotten that he was part of this team, and somebody like him could really extend the lineup, even mm-hmm. though he's not much of a not much of a batting average threat. He does take his walks, and he does hit the ball hard, so I'm really looking forward to getting him back, and he's back hitting, so there's a chance that we could see him pretty soon.
1: Yeah, you just talked about he's the only player who hit double-digit home runs last year, so... If you talk about you know runners in scoring position, if he at the plate, good chance for a crooked number. Also, if no one's on, good chance you still get a run, not because he hit a single and there's three other hits, but because he launched one over the over the yard. So, um let's flip. Let's just keep moving. um Those are the games so far, two and three record. I w- I'm not mad at. I- I'm very mad at how some of the innings have gone, but two and three is not bad for this team. We're going to get into what that then looks like moving forward in the next week of games and, and facing the Rockies a couple more times. But tell me now, because we're, we're going to see a player, Geraldo Perdomo, who's going to be an installment and going to be a part of this team moving forward until Ahmed comes back. What do you know about him? How high is he up on your prospect list? And what do you what should Dimebacks fans be excited about watching this kid play?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, for, as far as prospects go, you know, I've got him as number five on my top 20 list rob uh you're a lot higher than him uh on him than i am where does he rank on your list rob
1: um i think actually he moved up because i hold on i took a picture of it number two i think and the biggest thing was it wasn't just best it wasn't best prospects it was i put a bigger weight on who we would see sooner so you know for example, Jake Lukaskus, like he's like number three or four on my list where he's like number 11 if you just look at natural talent and skills because uh, we're going to mm-hmm. see him sooner. So per- Perdomo literally came up, boom, shot up my list as someone we need to talk about right away because if I wait another six weeks, this guy could either uh, no longer be a prospect because he stunk it up or is like no longer a prospect because he's now our, you know, Ahmed gets Wally pipped and he's the starter for the next 10 years. He's yeah. a special talent and that's why I say that last part.
0: Yeah, he is a special talent. Uh, probably not a Lou Gehrig talent. I don't think Nick Ahmed has any... Uh, you
1: don't have to be Lou Gehrig talent to be Wally Pipped. There's a lot of players you know, who don't know I, they played their last game.
0: You know, Nick Ahmed does not have the uh, have much to worry about as far as Perdomo taking a spot. In part, as I mentioned earlier, he hasn't played above uh, single A before coming to the majors. He's still got a lot of seasoning, a lot of maturing to do in the minor leagues. He's like six foot three, one hundred and forty pounds. The guy is a twig. He just is like getting into his body; needs to fill out. And you know, in a lot of ways, he's very similar to Nick Ahmed, who's also a taller shortstop that took some years to find some, to really figure out his offensive profile. And you know, Nick Ahmed, he's not much of a hitter, but he's good for fifteen to twenty home runs a season. Like he's got some good power. When he does make contact,
1: yeah. First two years struggled to hit the Mendoza line, and now you'd say is um, a good part of the lineup.
0: He's a he's just a little below average offensive player.
1: For Which, sure, yeah. He's w- not going to hit three hundred by no means, but there's a t- there's times where he hits a home run absolutely when you need it. There's no clutch right. gene, but. He went from going hitting maybe three home runs a year to getting double digits consistently.
0: Right. And from an OPS standpoint, he went from being like a 50 OPS player to like a 90 OPS player. So he's close to a league average Mm -hmm. offensive player, which you take given the gold glove defense. And Perdomo can be that kind of player as well. He just needs some more years to fill out into his body and kind of learn how to hit. The one thing that he's got that Nick Ahmed did not have at this stage, Perdomo has some excellent plate discipline. Uh, he has walked more than struck out during his minor league career, uh, career so far, and that's a skill that can translate to the major leagues even at this age over enough uh, plate appearances. I don't think we've seen that yet, but, uh, you know, Perdomo, he's up right now because there's a spot to be filled. We'll see him again in two years on a more regular basis.
1: Yeah, I agree. In the end, it I guess I'll put it this way. When we traded Jazz Chisholm for Zach Gallon, it was one of those rare trades now where it's one player for one player. There's not cash considerations. There's not multiple minors at different stages. It was one for one, our number one prospect for theirs. Um, And what was that, mid-2019, right? He came over halfway through the year? Yep. Um, The reason why Jazz Chisholm was expendable was two parts, and we really focused on Nick Ahmed. Being here and being a stalwart on the Diamondbacks for right now. But the reason you also give up someone who's got more than a decade left of his future in Chisholm is because you have a, Dr- or a Geraldo Perdomo coming up in the wings anyway. So if there is a time to ever move away from Ahmed two years from now, Perdomo is actually the best fit timeline wise compared to Chisholm because you, mm-hmm. you see Chisholm. Having a pretty good start to his career in the majors, but he's major league ready now, and we don't, we didn't need that at the shortstop.
0: Yeah, and even though Chisso was playing second base, and we arguably could use a starting oh, second baseman. Oh, I mean, baseman. at that point, there's so many
1: moving pieces.
0: <laughs> but um, you're right, and you know, the Diamondbacks even at that time had another shortstop in their system that has the chance to be a, a major league starter by the name of Leo Paguero, who we traded to Pittsburgh. In the starting Marte trade. So you're looking at Mike Hazen looking at three pretty good young shortstops in his minor league system and choosing Geraldo Perdomo. It reminds me a lot of the situation that we had, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when you had a couple good young shorts, uh, center fielders coming up in the system. Chris Young was on his way out, and you had a couple of guys by the name of Adam Eaton and AJ Pollock. And, uh, the Diamondbacks general manager at the time had to make a decision on which one of those two he was going to commit to uh, for the long term at, in center field because you can't play them both in center field
1: last week we talked about the same exact thing with Corbin Carroll quickly following up Alec Thomas you know you're gonna have to make decisions on them too so this is a, year, a couple of years ago we were dinged for one of the worst farm systems in the entire major leagues and Mike Hazen has done so much to improve that and that's that's the good side of a farm system is you actually lose really good prospects. Jess Chisholm, like we just mentioned, is one of those. I'm sure we're going to lose an outfielder at some point, but that's where you get good trade pieces back. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's uh, col- not collateral. What is it? Whatever.
0: The, it's worth.
1: You got to trade prospects to get good talent, and, and you have that opportunity when you have a good farm system.
0: Right. And so not at all to discount uh, how exciting... Geraldo Perdomo is as a prospect uh, don't expect I think what we can both agree is that you know don't don't expect that the Geraldo Perdomo that you're watching here in April of 2021 that he'll be the same player that you see when he's you know matured a little bit more spends more time in the minors and is up for for good in a couple years.
1: Yeah, a player with a little more polish is going to be great. This is a micro, micro part of experience for him. Um, but even last year, like he was at the training site, he was on the essentially like in the bullpen of players, right after the the twenty six man roster for last year, um, and so he got experience it, not just at single A or double A, which you would have gotten anyways. But he got to work with major league players, got to work with major league coaches all year in a, a shortened COVID season last year. So I think those little instances don't add up to him hitting 300 today. But when we see him, it's, it's going to be a lot more polished because of these experiences.
0: Right. Well, and keep this in mind when it comes to uh, Perdomo as well. You know, if the Diamondbacks do trend more towards a 100 loss season as you can envision, Rob. Maybe a player like Nick Ahmed, who's on a reasonable contract, gets traded a little earlier. Because the one thing Perdomo is, he's, he's up. He's on the 40-man roster. If we you know, we send him back down to the minors this year, so that's his first option bird. So we can send him up and down as many times as this year. But next year comes along, we send him to the minors again. There goes another option year. So every year going forward that he spends time in the minor, minors, that's less and less control that we have over him, which is the buzzword in, you know, in baseball man, general managers these days. If the Diamondbacks are not performing and Nick Ahmed c- continues to be his st- sturdy self, you might see the Geraldo Perdomo era uh, come to permanence a little sooner.
1: It's true. I hope not. I mean, the baby backs were fun, but they lost a lot. And I feel like we've got little threads or little, moments that make it feel like we're heading towards a season like that and it's not like we're like like there's no bronze statue of matt kata you know from the diamondbacks era in 2004 out front in front of the stadium like it was fun and like weird and quirky in the moment but i also like to win <laughs> so, so sue me you know like yep um since you're looking to the future do you want to move on do you want to just t- take a look at the week ahead the games we've got maybe let me make a little prediction of how the dimebacks are going to do because thinking we might be able to pull into 500 here at least this early yeah. In the season
0: yeah i was uh counting on a colorado rocky sweep or a sweep of the colorado rockies this uh second series of the season uh probably not going to happen but you know we've got uh a day game Against Colorado before heading back home for our uh, home opener against the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, three games against the Reds, and then the Oakland Athletics come to town for the first uh, interleague season uh, series of the season. Uh, no DH since that'll be played in Chase Field, but interleague series are always fun.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting is I get it. Like any team can start off hot, and I know the Reds have been so low in years. Past that they're going to get better and better but i i think we can go two out of three with them and i mean flip a coin every year with the athletics of whether they're going to be one of the most dominating uh teams you know whether it's billy being like working his magic to to create a great roster or they're going to be a seller dweller it's you never know with those that team so um What is that? How many games is that total? If you're counting, probably not tonight's game with the Rockies, but tomorrow's the day game. And then six after that, so seven.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, seven and no. That's my prediction.
0: Yeah, of course. I'll go eight and no. Okay, good. Way to be more optimistic to
1: me, as per usual. No. Eight
0: and over the next seven games.
1: I think with a home opener, the key is win the home opener. You got the bunting rolled out, you know, you got the fireworks, win that one try and find two out of three from the reds and then two out of three out of the athletics and then yeah win the that's three if you win tomorrow that's three series one and only one against the padres lost who they've been predicted to beat us anyways so
0: well i just think that's what the Divex have to focus on and that's any team in baseball take two out of three sure up, series. at home and then split them on the road
1: yep we we're so close to splitting the padres in series two it's a tough that one oh that sign means it's time to go uh what do what are they gonna do follow us on instagram bloop single az uh let's see twitter Bloop single a z. here we go email yeah, just, just, yeah, <laughs> just just start typing bloop single see who responds
0: let's be honest if you're listening to this podcast you have our personal phone numbers so uh just i know give us a, ellis shout out give man. us a text very there.
1: good get very good texts after the uh the padres i think the the third loss in a row he had a good Ferris Bueller sure. gif. It's like, yeesh. That's how I felt <laughs> in the moment. So,
0: Yep. All right, Rob. It's been a great time. Uh, you'll be out of town this next week, so it'll be a couple of weeks probably until our next podcast. Yeah. So uh, uh, we'll look forward to, you know, there'll be a lot to talk about then. Awesome, man. Are you guys going to go.